Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. I'd like to welcome everybody back to another dazzling episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by Shaheen Khan and by Henry Newman up from the Great White North. How are things there, Henry? Last time we talked, you were moving I 16 inches of snow. The dirt now on the sidewalks. It's very exciting. <laughs> Spring is here. Spring is here. And it looks like you're only wearing yeah, two sweaters no today. Either. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're upstairs. Well, that makes <laughs> all the difference in the world. How you doing, Shaheen? Awesome. Excellent. It's a t-shirt day today here in California. It looks t-shirty up here as well in Oregon, which is kind of surprising. It's been driving rain and cold. But there you go. Now, since we're talking about the weather, let me make another one of my brilliant segues. I don't know what the weather's going to be like next week at this time because I'm going to be in Dalian, China, covering the ASC student cluster competition. Oh, are we bringing the calendar feature back? We are bringing the calendar feature, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to tell you where I am, and then we'll finish the show where I'll be every week. Uh, this competition is the biggest one with 20 teams, and uh, teams have been working for, gosh, I don't know, nearly a year trying to get into the competition. They had... Uh, more than 300 apply for it, and they've winnowed the field wow. down to 20. How did they winnow the, winnow the field down? Uh, they have workshops to teach the kids HPC stuff, and then they have them do some preliminary things remotely on um, the ASC committee's computers or their own computers. And then they have to send results in, and they are judged on those results along with their application. It's actually pretty grueling. It's probably the most grueling entry process in any of the competitions. So the 20 teams are heavily weighted towards China. Uh, got the returning champion, Tsinghua University, who has taken down more cluster competition championships than anyone else. We do have uh, the ever durable University of Tartu, who cluster competition aficionados will recognize as the kids from Estonia who actually used human blood or had human blood in one of their um, ISC competition machines where they had to make their own power cables for each node of their cluster because their power supplies didn't uh, arrive and they were doing it with a knife and a kid cut himself. Human blood was in that uh, cluster. It was incredible performance. Hopefully they didn't have to go to the hospital and get stitched. He refused any medical treatment other than a Band-Aid. He said, I've got to get these things going. They stripped every power supply, every PC power supply out of uh, the city of Frankfurt. Again, it was a uh, it was a very strong showing. Uh, University of Warsaw will be there from the west. Uh, these plucky kids have been competing. Oh boy, last three or four years, uh, they were the first um, team to use a PCI interconnect at SC18 last year. Uh, Peking University is a power team. Uh, Fuzhou University will be in there. Beihong. Um, 
but again, most of them Chinese teams, except for the ones that I called out. Well, that, Dan, it doesn't surprise you. I mean, because, you know, given the language barrier and everything else, getting in the competition and the cost, it's got to be expensive to fly to China, put everybody yes. up and, yep. you know, um, and get all your equipment there, even if oh, someone... Oh, wait, they don't have to move any equipment. Uh, Inspur provides all the gear for everybody. You just everybody, tell them what you want. Oh, you tell them what you want? You tell them how many nodes you want, how you want them configured, and uh, they have a little warehouse right next to the show floor, and uh, they will deliver it to you. The only thing you have to bring are your own accelerators. What about, Although I do what believe about the power providing some of those. But uh, you said last nope. year they had to do power supplies. That was at ISC, and their power supplies didn't get shipped. Oh, okay. That's a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, now is um, this like uh, being next to fries, and you just you can you can it, order stuff it, on the spot, or you have kind of yeah. like that? Yeah, you tell them you can order things up until the competition starts. Inspur will be very flexible with providing things. That is really great. I would yeah. for, I would firmware load everything. What do you mean? I would sure. I bring my own BIOS, my own firmware. I'd load. Oh, yeah. I'd load yeah. 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 That's true. You should do that. Yes. And, that's the one thing that I, I tell all the teams in every competition is to do that, but have that stuff on thumb drives. Do not rely on the internet to deliver it because the internet uh, gets pretty crowded at these events. And it's just, you know, the, when you need it the most, the network is at its youngest. Good point, Dan. Yeah. Everybody uh, should start clean. Yes. Yes. Start clean. Uh, bring all everything you need, everything you'll possibly need. Uh, it's and, easy to transport yeah. on thumb drives. Yep. Uh, they're going to be studying, uh, or they're going to be doing some applications there, of course. Uh, they'll be doing the HP uh, CG. They'll be doing HPL, as usual. Um, but they're also going to be doing some climate modeling. And one that really kind of intrigued me is an image resolution uh, using single image super resolution hardware software or methodology. It's an artificial intelligence app that um, the teams have used during their preliminary. What they have to do is design their own algorithm and train their own AI models using PyTorch to restore 80 blurred images back to high resolution images in the shortest time possible. Wow. That's, and, that's some work in multiple directions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I could barely imagining, imagine undergraduate students designing their own AI models and um, neural network in order to do this. Yeah, there's got to be more to this than that, it would seem, because you're absolutely correct, Dan. I mean, this is, this is deep, deep stuff. It, it, you know, the Asian student cluster competition has always had at least one really hard application. And I think this one's it. For sure. But it will be a great event. Good time will be had by all. We'll be at Dalian, which is a seaside, uh, modest seaside town of, I believe, 5.6 million. Wow. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, enjoy your trip, Dan. I hope uh, you get upgraded. Uh, <laughs> not likely, but <laughs> let's hope so. Um 
Well, I hope you get your favorite seat anyway. I do. I've locked in the bulkhead seat, and uh, if anybody's interested in my favorite seat, the seat I recommend on most airliners, 18G. Well, That's eight, 18 G for what airplane? Uh, for the seven, probably triple seven. Triple triple seven for yeah. the long haul ocean. Check out SeatGuru.com to make sure. But what you want is the bulkhead that's not by the bathrooms. It's ahead of the bathrooms. Good for you. But you've Dave. got the bulkhead with more leg room. It's better than premium economy, and it usually only costs you about a hundred bucks more. So with that. We talk about, we go from a talk of travel to the talk of how data travels with a story that Henry found. Henry? Yeah, I saw, I saw a story that Intel came out with this new version of Optane that is a hybrid Optane. It's got Optane out front and NAND in the back because obviously NAND is cheaper and slower. And it got me thinking about the history of caching um, and thinking about it. Can we back up just a second? So it's an M2 format drive, and it's got six, 16. It's M2. Yeah, yeah M2. M2. Yeah. Uh, 16 gig of Optane and 256 gig of Flash, but it does also go up to 32 gigabytes of Optane with 512 or a terabyte of Flash behind it. What is the point of having Optane in front of? Optane. A couple things. One is Optane has uh, a lot more write endurance than NAND does. Secondly, Optane is significantly faster than NAND. And thirdly and lastly, Optane is byte addressable. NAND is only page addressable at 4K pages. Okay. Okay. So then go on with your history of caching. You know, it got me thinking about it. And I think that caching is going to be changing. Um, you know, we, we had these, you know, going way, way back to HSMs of the 80s uh, that we had. Uh, there was a you know, policy-based caches where people would bring things in based on you touch this file, you bring in this whole directory kind of thing. Um, and then there was a company I remembered, and I sent you guys the link called Cereva. And their idea was we put the heavily used data based on an LRU algorithm on the outer cylinders of disk drives. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I always thought that was kind of crazy because, you know, if the outer cylinder had to get relocated because it went bad, you never really had data on the outer cylinders. There was a file system out of PSC called Zest, which used the outer cylinders versus inner cylinders. So the outer cylinders were always a lot faster than inner cylinders back in, you know, back in these early 2000s days. Okay. And then there was that, um, and I don't remember the name of the company that had the memory dim that had a D DDR, I think three and then flash behind it and you addressed it kind of like what the Optane was. I forgot the name of the company that did it. I don't think it was Rambus, but somebody had a dim out there. And, you know, all these methods have been LRU algorithms or a policy. So it's least recently used or some kind of policy with recently used, um, you know, in your in archive, bring in this directory. If you touch one file, bring in the whole thing. In the medical community, that was always true for patient records. So you touch one file, you bring, you're going to assume you're going to touch other files for the patient, uh, and you bring it in off a of tape. But I think that if you combine usage, usage and usage patterns with deep learning, um, I think that and the fact that, you know, I, I, or not fact, but, but my belief that we're going to go to a single interface 
um, with NVMe over fabric in the next three or four years, and that's going to become available. It seems to me that we're going to have the ability to look at hierarchies from everything outside of, you know, DRAM and maybe even DRAM um, based on policies because we're going to be able to mem map things. We're going to have addressability and you can do pretty good predictive analysis on this. If you watch patterns and usage, obviously, you know, you're not a hundred percent, but from a cost point of view and latency point of view, I think it's going to be really interesting. That hmm. will be interesting. You know, you could apply yeah. that to almost any algorithm that tries to decide things on things like that. You could. You know, like uh, like workload management algorithm. Yeah, well, this is workload management, Shaheen, because your workload is your data, and your data is going to exist in, you know, you have these hierarchies because there's a cost difference between, why would Intel do this unless there wasn't mm -hmm. a cost difference mm -hmm. between each of the hierarchies, there's going to be a, a significant cost difference. Well, there's a, fundamentally, the purpose of caching is to give you the, uh, the substantial benefit of the faster, more expensive things and the capacity of the slower, larger thing. Correct. And to balance the performance by putting the stuff you use the most often or you'll need next in cache. Well, it's also the other thing is to ad address the cost issue. Because the idea is that the faster thing is always more costly than the next slower thing. True. True. So, um, and and we, we now have more hierarchies. Right, but not in too distant past. We used to just have memory in front of disk. There were a whole bunch of drives that had memory inside the drive. That's right. And you, and you still... You still have that. You still have memory inside drives. You still have memory inside RAID controllers. But they're generally, the drives are, the memory is, you know, pretty much an LRU algorithm. The RAID controllers are an LRU algorithm you can add some policy to in some cases, depending on the complexity of the RAID controller. You might be able to pin these disks to the cache or things like that. But... You know, there are these hybrid uh, storage arrays now that have SSDs in front of disk and policies around them. So, I so is this is this superior to just using memory? Obviously, it's probably a little cheaper. Oh, it's a lot uh, cheaper. Memory, but expensive. it's also persistent, right? It is persistent, and there, there, yeah. So there are also dangers there, Will Robinson, and oh. the dangers are that you need to be able to encrypt those things and you need to be able to have keys and you need to be able to crypto erase because persistence has some challenges there. But doesn't that negate some of the speed? No. Uh, everybody, well, most everybody that I'm aware of uh, that talks about it, can uh, they design their ASICs that they can crypt at uh, channel rate, whatever the okay. channel is. Okay. All right. That'll keep it sporty. Good well, stuff. Well, persistent data is going to be a trade-off, right? For obviously, you don't have to worry about remembering it because it's there. Uh, but then also, if you didn't count on it being there and it's still there, that could be a problem. Hey, that's That was my point, Sheen. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty uh, well, let me, pretty scary. Let me sneak. 
let me sneak in a dumb question here is how much will have to be changed in order to take advantage of this? Anything on the application side or OS side? I think it's going to be in the policy engine for, for the workflow. And I think, uh, I think, I don't know. I think as we move forward, some of the ASICs will have policy engines for this kind of stuff. But applications can use it as before. They just look at it as a file system, right? Or they look at it as cache, right? It, you know no, what? it's just I disk. Think, I don't think we're going to have cache as we know it, folks. I mean, or, or disk as we know it and file systems as we know it. Well, the, the Optane in front of this looks like cache to me. It looks like cache and potentially memory. Uh, it depends on if it could be used. But, I mean, when we get to mem mapping files rather than doing file systems... Um, well, we're not doing that yet, right? We are not doing that yet. Yeah, but, I mean, un but unless I you do RAM disk or... But I think we're coming, we're going to get there. Hmm. Eventually. Eventually, yeah. I mean, as long as these are block addressable and those are byte addressable, that interface is an issue, right? Correct. It's interesting, too, that... This hooks up to the host on a PCI 4 with two lanes for the Optane and two lanes for the QLC cache. I saw that. That was puzzling to me. Or the flash why? memory. The QLC why flash memory. Why, yeah, why wouldn't they both use four lanes? Um, it's probably the amount of, of the underlying hardware they have. You know, for example, you need a certain amount of flash to be able to... Uh, uh, because of the speed to withstand to take up the bandwidth of all those lanes. If you don't have enough flash, you can't run at that rate. Well, a thing has up to a terabyte of flash. It depends on how, to, but you know how expensive is it to to build lanes within between the Optane because you got a P, I assume it's a PCI bus between the Optane and the flash, and that's expensive engineering to put uh, all that PCI bandwidth in there. And if the Optane really is trickling the data, you don't need it. Well, and, and that argues against my thesis that this is cash because they're both equally attached to the PCI bus. It's not a hierarchy within this card. Well, the interface, the storage software that you need to have, and I and it sounds like that's not actually running on the device uh, on the microcontroller there. That is the interface that makes it look like a cache. And in fact, so much so that it makes it look like one single device and you don't need to know what's under the hood. Mm. Okay. So my read stuff. was that, yeah. the, that it's probably on the roadmap using all four for the entire thing and not separating two lanes for this and two lanes for that. It's probably simpler to do it right now like this, but it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, very, but very this is this is going to require different motherboards, I believe. Well, but, but guys, my point, you know, is still valid is I think oh, yeah. this is the step of where things are going to be going yes. long yes. term. And um, also a smart move on Intel because you can get the benefit of uh, Optane without the expense. Uh, or at least some of the benefit or most of the benefit, depending on your use case. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, anybody smell fish? It's time for the catch <laughs> of the week. Catch of the week. Catch of the week. Uh, Henry, you got a catch? No, I don't. I've been, I've been thinking about caching. Yeah. 
Well, okay. Uh, Shaheen, would you like to substitute for Henry? <laughs> a catch. Uh, I, I, I do have uh, uh, two things that I want to talk about. So I'll go, I'll go to the, the more serious one, one first. Present one in a Henry-like way. <laughs> no, maybe that one is the next one. I'll just go with the one that I really want to talk about. And this is uh, – so I subscribe to an IoT newsletter uh, called Stacy on IoT. This is done by Stacy Higginbotham, who is excellent and does a very, great, very, very good job. Uh, and, and it's kind of my way of keeping track of some of the happenings on the IoT world. So uh, she had visited uh, Finland uh, recently. And uh, the name of her article, and hopefully she will present it as just a standalone article and not just part of the newsletter, but it's what we mean when we talk about digital twins. So in the world of IoT, the digital twin is a label that's been put on a virtual representation of a physical thing. And, uh, and, and what she says, I'm just going to read this to you. Uh, and. And, and so it says, watching it prompted me to wonder how much data it takes to create a digital twin. If I had a digital simulacrum of a machine and could apply different environmental or mechanical factors to it, how large could that original be? It turns out that's not how digital twins work. They aren't virtual doppelgangers. They are actually a series of algorithms that connote how a machine moves or behaves. In other words, a twin isn't a twin so much as it is dot, 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 math. Okay, so now this is like the first I see where IoT and simulation are, 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 are crossing. So is she saying that if you're going to make a virtual twin of something, that you don't need to capture the entire state and data behind that something, you capture an algorithm as to how it reacts? Well, exactly, because you see, so far, all the demos that you see of a quote-unquote digital twin are just a visual representation uh, that, that, that makes it clear for you, okay, that's where the sensor is, and yeah, those where the propellers are. I mean, in fact, yeah. know, the G jet engine is a, is a great demo example of that, and they're using it in practice. Uh, but the whole math part of it, the simulation part of it, is not really exposed, and, and that's really what's going to the big difference. So now we have two reasons why IoT and HPC are related. One is because these devices need to have a digital manifestation that is a full simulation of the physical thing. And then second, <clears throat> and sometimes in environments that that may not be uh, may not be easy to create in real world, uh, just to, so you see what happens. Uh, and then secondly, because there's so much data that's coming out of these things that you need HPC to make sense of it. Okay. Okay. So, so to me, this is really, really interesting because I, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of HPC vendors and everybody's sort of feeling for what IoT might do. And there was sort of the smart city HPC threat that was at one of the SC conferences. And it's always been kind of something that the HPC guys do and the IoT people really aren't doing. So this is really promising to me that the IoT community is also wising up to the importance of at least math. And I think that immediately leads to uh, HPC soon enough. So that that's a, that 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 was my uh, interesting catch that was uh, very inspiring for me. Henry, well, counterpoint. Well, uh, if the IoT community cares about HPC, they need to start working with languages that are a little faster than Python. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably true. Yeah, they're going to get there. They're going to get there. <clears throat> uh, did you have a second one, Shaheen? Uh, the second one I had was about uh, a report that said uh, uh, your conversations and commands to Alexa are actually listened to by human beings. And who the hell does this surprise? Not well, me. Well, Nobody. Wait, wait a second. Just remember, it was Bloomberg. No, no. This one came out in many other places, too. Yeah. So did, so so did, seems... so did the super micro Fair thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. But this is what they're saying. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably read this one, too. Well, well wait a minute. Amazon yeah. hasn't denied it. Amazon said, well, yeah, but it's just so little that. So it's, this is real. This is real, Henry. But Go the, ahead, the point is that when you have supervised learning, you need supervisors. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of, to me, as simple well, as that. Well, there is still the lawsuit. Uh, I think it was Kansas about the crime that was committed. I don't know what the resolution of that. That was a couple of years ago. That was Alexa, and there was a crime committed, and supposedly Alexa might have right. heard it. Right, I don't remember, right. remember any details after that. But, but I guess my point is, yeah, you're absolutely right, Shaheen. Yes, if there's supervised learning and things they don't understand, how are they going to learn if somebody doesn't – something, someone yeah. doesn't intervene? So the, the real question becomes – So I don't think there's any reason to panic, but I do think that that's oh. something that people don't know who need to know. I find everything a reason for panic. <laughs> but that's <laughs> but just sorry, me. Sorry, Henry, you were saying. What was I saying? You were saying something. I don't remember. You know, I'm over 60 now, so I don't remember a lot of things. <laughs> That's a reason for panic, Henry. <laughs> no, I mean, that was, got, we all panic. Uh, you know, it's what you want, what, it's what you want to panic about. Well, I depends on how much you know about what's really going on. And I think that the data privacy issue is an example of that, is that you share info with certain intent and it is used for something other than that intent. And but, then you're, you're freaked out because. But, but all, all 18 of our listeners would would know that that this is happening because they understand how things work. It's it's the general public. It for that that doesn't understand these things, um, and you know they're the ones who, I mean, do any of us have a digital assistant in their house? Not me. No. Not me. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Are we ever thinking about getting one? No. Not anytime soon. I, yeah. Yet, not anytime soon. When I get to a point where I'm too old to be getting up and doing stuff, possibly. I don't have the use case, really. The only reason I do some of these things is to keep track of the technology so I know what I'm talking about. So I do that in a limited way, and I experiment with it so I know how you plug it in and how it works. But to on a, use it on a daily basis, I, I just haven't had the use case. I would get no. a packet filter and, and look at what's going on before I did anything. That hey, would right. be really interesting is to watch what it's when right. it's sending, I what it's sending from, all I would, that. I would disconnect from the Internet and see what was happening. But, you know, maybe it doesn't work with disconnecting the Internet, but I'd still do a packet filter and get every packet out of it. Yeah, it won't, re it won't work without being connected, I don't think. Right, and you probably need to put the packet filter in line on your, your router because it's probably tunneling through things that you don't know about. So I would directly Ethernet connect it, put something in between it. Exactly. Could do Wire shark it and see what happens. Yeah. Well, there was a, uh, also a little snippet here that was interesting that uh, that these people, these contractors and full-time employees, and they're in different places. So, A, they're in different geographies, which means they are in different jurisdictions. 
Well, and there's also language issues. They have to be, because different languages, if you're trying to get context, you have to have different language capabilities. This is very true. But the whole thing is that, the, I mean, to me, that different geographies, different jurisdictions means different data privacy laws. Yes. So that was interesting. And then the other thing was that they work nine hours a day with each reviewer parsing as many as a thousand audio clips per shift. Now, these are pretty small audio clips because they're just short commands. Uh, but you kind of divide those two by each other, and it's an interesting uh, metric for productivity. And, and Gene, again, it came from Bloomberg. Nothing against Bloomberg, but uh, given the, 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 the supermicro thing was never proven unequivocally outside of that article, um, I, I have concerns. Uh, touche, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and Henry's moving to the point where you have to take him and and he has to witness something personally before he believes it. Yeah, and and it can't be digital because I, you know, you yes. can, you can hack that. I think That's we're right. all being trained to demand that, which is a good thing. Yes. Now, speaking of something that is time to panic over, and I'm 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 recatching this catch because we didn't fully discuss it last time because it sent Shaheen off on a rant. So now that he has that out of his system, I'm going to bring up again Chinese scientist gene hack super smart human monkey hybrids. What the <laughs> hell? Dan, and did they really Dan, do this? Dan, you yes. have, yeah, I, do, I need to see the article, <laughs> and I need to val- verify this. This is I, the week. This is the week week world news. I'm telling you, if it's if it's printed in futurism.com, it's got to be true. Oh yeah, and, that's and these these monkeys have already had better reaction times and enhanced short-term memories compared to their unaltered peers, according to the China Daily Post. So what kind of future are we getting into here? This is Planet of the Apes all over. (laughs) This is how that started. (laughs) And I am not looking forward to a war. And and Charlton Heston is dead. (laughs) I know. We don't have Charlton Heston. Do you remember that joke when the guy was saying if I ran NASA, it would be mandatory for the ground crew to wear ape suits when <laughs> shuttle comes back? <laughs> you know, I wish we had a NASA that was that funny. That when the, you know, the shuttle comes back or the Soyuz lands and everybody's in an ape head around them. <laughs> you know what? I bet you, the, I bet you the folks at JPL have that kind of sense of humor. I bet they do. You're right. I would love to see. I would love to see a command center, a shot of the command center with all the ape heads on. That would be fantastic. <laughs> they did a. They did a Gangnam Style music. Uh, one of the NASA sites did. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But are we worried about these gene hack super smart human monkeys? I, yes, we are. Gene hacks are not a good thing uh, because we don't have any policies. We don't. Oh, that says black swan all over the place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it doesn't. One of these things get uh, one of the, I mean, these these things are super intelligent, and once they figure out how to break the lock and get out into the wild, well, but they'll if you gene, pass their gene hacks on. I don't think that's the problem domain. The problem domain is passing viruses and other pathogens in a way that we had that we were previously immune from, and that we're not going to be immune from. You give these super monkeys a keyboard, and they're going to type up some viruses. We won't be immune. <laughs> <laughs> but Shakespeare first, please. <laughs> yes, Shakespeare first. On that note, 
Uh, let's call this an episode, and we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening, all 15 or maybe 18 of you, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for Thank listening you for to this episode, episode of Radio, Radio Free ABC. And as a quick, note, a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry are his, are his do not reflect do not any policy or position of Seagate, WGW, or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.